Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Lauren Wilson, the CEO and founder of luxury fashion resale site, Dora Marr. Dora Marr's differentiator in the space is that it spotlights its sellers, or muses, and attributes each product to one of their closets. I wanted to ask Lauren about the strategy of treating the seller as an influencer and the extent to which her business, launched in 2019, was well-suited to the last two unprecedented years. Welcome, Lauren. Thanks so much, Jill. I'm super excited to be here, and that intro was really fabulous. I feel very special now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, welcome. Well, resale is booming. Like, tell me, was this just a happy kawinky thing? Did did you see the the rise uh, prior to the pandemic? Uh, Why resale? It's so funny. Honestly, my whole career has been really in the primary market of luxury. And I'm talking even back when I was 19 years old, I was called a super intern in, in school at USC. I always wanted to work in luxury fashion and resale was never a part of that. But, and, and honestly, my entrepreneurial journey was not something that I sort of planned out. It did kind of fall into me and it, it felt too, too good to be true. Um, so I was at Mode Operandi when I kind of just stumbled upon this, this great idea of, all right, resale has so many tailwinds behind it. And honestly, why I would love to shop Moda net a every single season, my bank account would not allow that. Um, and so I always turn to resale, right? Like I love those unique pieces, um, pieces that no one else has that you haven't seen in years. But I always thought like, what is the story behind these? And I think working at a place like Moda and prior to that at Christie's, like we're always digging behind the story of the designer or the women that wear them or the people that owned it. And I thought, why doesn't this exist in secondhand? And I just had a random idea searching through Instagram as one does on like a Sunday scaries evening and thought, I got to create a platform where like we tell the stories of these fabulous clothes and these fabulous closets. That's so smart. Well, first of all, before we jump in, why Dora Mar? Obviously, that's a well-known artist. Like, why did you choose that name for your company? Okay, I wish I had like a really, really inspirational story here. Um, But six months into concepting this company, I probably almost gave up because we couldn't figure out a name. I'm so sticky on copy and I didn't want the name to sound too technical. I wanted it to sound artsy and I wanted it to sound like, you know, tie into this influencer muse concept. Um, And one of the guys on our team, Luigi, who was at Moda with me, he's our strategy and growth lead. He's like, what about Dora Mar? And I was like, oh my God, this makes so much sense because we really want to treat Dormar like how fine art is treated in the secondhand market. And it just worked perfectly. And, and what people don't recognize about her is while she's Picasso's muse or was Picasso's muse, she's also a really famous surrealist artist and photographer in her own right. So a lot of that is, is you know, digging beyond um, just being a muse, but what that, you know, what the power in muse actually means. Yes. Well, obviously, who doesn't want to who doesn't get excited about shopping from somebody that they're inspired by shopping their closet? Um, Was it originally like the concept, the business strategy to say sellers are it's a competitive space, these sellers, let's put them on a pedestal. Let's say, hey, these people are somebody to know. Um, It's almost a way of flattering them to earn their business. Is that I mean, is that again, (laughs) another happy coincidence? Was that an idea? I think really where the idea stemmed from. So how I got the idea was from like an influencer in a sense. Like I was scrolling through Instagram on a Sunday evening and someone I follow was selling her closet on her Instagram. She styled it all out. I find her her style to be really relevant and inspirational and reliable. And I was like, gosh, I would have never paired that top with these like, 
you know, these pants, but the way she put it together made me be like, I got to buy this from her. And that's how the, the moment kind of came to be. And so when I was concepting the company, I thought, okay, like the biggest issues in resale, especially luxury is like this lack of curation. You go on these platforms and you're like, where do I even begin? Like, it's not really a discovery platform. It's like, okay, black Louboutin pump. If you have it in my size, great. Um, so I thought that curation was missing and then that trust, right? Like, is this real? Where's it's coming from? Like who wore it? How did they wear it? And so those were the two biggest issues I wanted to tackle. And because like the, you know, the point of aha was like, this was an influencer. I thought, wow, this influencer concept, I think let's blow this out. And I think even more so like working at Moda and, you know, working under Lauren Sander Domingo, that their founder, um, you know, one of the biggest strategies we used was putting her front and center. You know, all the clients at Moda want to dress and look like her and she has fabulous style. I do as well. Hint, hint, LSD, please be amused. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I think there's this idea, you know, fashion and luxury fashion is highly emotional and um, you want to feel like you're a part of something bigger than yourself. And those stories is is what makes luxury fashion um, so covetable, really. Yeah. Who's worthy of being stamped Adora Mar Muse? Who do you you seek out? Um, You know, I think when I first started, I begged a few influencer friends of mine, hey guys, will you just give me some of your clothes and I'll make a really pretty marketing campaign for you? Um, But so obviously it really started with people who maybe are kind of more in in the fashion industry, um, but really it's evolved for anyone that uses fashion on their platform as a means to communicate um, you know, what's important to them. So we've got lawyers on the platforms. We've got people in the movie industry, in the music industry, who just really use fashion as like, a, you know, and, and for that transformative ability that it has. Um, and so I think, you know, it runs a gamut in terms of who can be a muse. I think that's what's beautiful about the muse concept. So many people are luxury consumers, right? It doesn't matter what shape, size, um, background you come from. And I think, you know, brands have controlled that narrative really tightly. And for us, it's like the muses get to get to be who they are and get to share their story. And that's relatable for consumers. Um, not everyone is a blonde size zero, right? Or not everyone is looking the same. And um, luxury should be, you know, feel exclusive and special, but that you can still participate. And I think that muse concept gives um, gives that 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 validity to that. Right on. Do you look at follower count? What do you see in terms of the ripple effect in terms of what they share and how, what business they bring in personally? Yeah. You know, there is something really to be said about the micro influencer. I think like the more niche an influencer's market is actually the higher converting it is. Um, Like I think, you know, we see, we have a very, very feminine client. She loves pink and lace and girliness. And um, so, you know, like a lot of the Southern, you know, muses based in the South who are young mothers that have, you know, beautiful dresses from Alessandra Rich or, um, you know, Zimmerman, those, those types of brands that, um, you know, they have these like really cult followings, almost these, these more niche influencers. Um, Not that we don't target obviously ones with hundreds of thousands of followers. I think that's great for obviously brand awareness and they've got great stories to share, but those niche audiences really drive, drive it forward. And I think, we love, you know, finding an influencer that is really passionate about the Muse concept and her closet does really well. And then, you know, one of our main acquisition channels is them referring other Muses, right? They're all kind of friends in these different niches. Um, and that really drives into the personalization. Like, okay, if all of our clients love this one Muse, she's going to love like, you know, her four other friends that have got a similar style. Um, and so that's really how we start to kind of grow out that community and network of Muses. When you pinpoint a muse, this person's worthy. Like, what are the questions they ask? Is it like, is it competitive about like, why sell through you versus another platform? I know it's a consignment model, right? Is it about like giving them a larger cut? Yeah. So 
how we kind of started with like, you know, what, what does it mean to be a muse? Um, and like, why would, why be a muse essentially? I think, um, we're seeing, and I love, I love this phrase. I'm stealing it from a Vogue article back in 2020, but as influencers, as the new retailers, right? Like people, they have, they've become brands in and of themselves in this social media world, right? Like people follow them for every sort of recommendation beyond clothing, um, you know, what they're eating, where they're traveling, even like what, you know, vitamins are taking that sort of thing. And so, I felt like there was no platform in the resale space or even in the fashion space that gave this community to luxury creators. You see tons of spaces for music creators, for gaming creators, for all types of other niches. But like, where do you go to discover the best of luxury creators and to like follow them and and find their journey and find their brand and monetize that? And so um, for Dora Mar, like when you become a muse, it's not just a place to sell your clothes. I think if, you know, a muse just wants to get rid of a bunch of stuff, there's plenty of other platforms. But for for Dora Mar, it's really about, you know, it's about becoming a brand in and of itself and 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 being able to monetize that. And monetizing doesn't mean you have to pick, you know, pocket in your in your pocket. We've got tons of muses that do, you know, commissions to their charities, or uh, we're really digging into these brand partnerships and giving brands this really strategic and um, sustainable way to offload, you know, pasties and merchandises through these muses closets and thus through these, you know, highly engaged muse audiences. Um, so I think it really becomes a branding moment for muses and a way for us to expand upon, um, you know, their audience and give them, um, you know, another channel to connect with them. Yeah. Tell me about the brand as uh, Dora Mar Muse, um, Rodarte. Like that's a great partner to have. How did they come on board? Why did they come on board? Yeah, I think with the brand partnership models, like you said, we started with consignment where muses were kind of digging in their own closets and reconsigning items. And um, again, it's not like a one-off partnership. It really becomes like a a new retail channel for them. So, um, you know, over 60% of our muses last year consigned two or more times with us and like kind of continuing to like make these just ginormous muse closets for themselves. And the brand play was something that was kind of always on the back burner um, that we wanted to do. But I think, you know, when you work in luxury, obviously getting the brands on board can be can be difficult. Obviously, all these people and retailers are clamoring to have them on board and what makes you different and what makes a brand want to essentially kind of let go a little control to you as a retailer. Um, and again, I'm going to re- revert back to the muses here. Charlize, who is a huge supporter of us, and she's one of our muses. Um, she's a rising star in the movie industry. She was the costume designer for Judas and the Black Messiah. And she was dressed by Rodarte for the virtual Oscars last year. Um, so she's already become, you know, this organic ambassador for Rodarte. And we had told her, you know, we really want to get into brand things. Like maybe we'll do it for Fashion Week back in September of 2021. And so she connected us with Lauren Kate at uh, at Rodarte, and they said, you know, we can blow this out even bigger with you. And so they consigned, um, you know, a selection of archival pieces to basically um, sell through Charlize's Muse Closet. And in, in this case, you know, the Rodarte proceeds went to the Boys and Girls Club Design U program, with which Charlize started when she was filming um, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah in Ohio and really wanted to, you know, create a program for, for children to be able to, um, you know, explore design and fashion. And so, um, the brand partnership just became kind of a normal, natural fit that no one has really claimed. Um, and then we launched Markarian last week. We're launching a few other brands in March that were just, you know, starting to tie up. And those were, those were come to fruition. I think this is a really big space that no one's necessarily filled in this like secondhand, um, economy really in, in the way that Dormar is through these muse closets. Right on. And it's just so clear. This is direct from the brand. There's usually a charitable component, right? There generally is. It's, you know, something that we leave up to the brand if if there's something they want to support. Um, it's not something that you have to do. But I think 
Um, you know, a lot of brands see this as a great opportunity, not only to like loudly and proudly talk about, you know, what they're doing with, uh, you know, old season merchandise that is sustainable, but also strategic and get some um, more engaged with an audience that clearly already loves the aesthetic of the women they're already dressing. For sure. Um, to what extent would your, do you think that your customer, like when I was looking at um, the Markarian selection that's on there now, I was yeah. like, wow, it compares the retail price versus what you're selling it for. This is excess inventory. It's not something that's been used and abused. Um, to me, the price was like the selling point. I'm like, that's amazing. <laughs> but in terms of um, the shopper who who's shopping with sustainability in mind, and yeah. that's why they're shopping resale, or, or what do you maybe promote more in marketing? Because you know that that's what's going to get them. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think, you know, with with Doramar, what's like so crucial for us is like, you know, we talk about sustainability as an industry and fashion has like a long way to go where we really dig deep into like if we can treat these items as, uh, you know, adding value to them through the story, through the narrative, through sharing like the provenance, which is an art world term of like every step of the way, where did this piece of art or in this case garment, you know, what was, you know, every, every hand that it transferred to every place it was sold, every owner is like, you know, basically noted because that adds to its value and also proves its authenticity. And that's an art world thing. And that's what we're bringing to Dormar. And so I think the more that we can get the audience to understand the value in these pieces, the more so I think women will want to build a wardrobe that is, um, you know, within this resale secondhand pre-owned space. Um, I, I think shoving things down people's faces that they don't understand isn't the way to necessarily change um, a habit. And what Dormar is really trying to do is change a habit. So when you look on Dormar, it's not about just buying the black pump. It's about buying the black pump, the matching Fendi dress and the Hermes handbag, plus the Gigi Burris headband. Like we want to create entire looks and entire styles, which is why that Muse concept is so important because it shows you how to dress head to toe in something that is sustainable without even really thinking. You're just like, wait, I love this, this, and this. And like, how fun when I wear this to the party that I can say it was from the Vogue editor's closet. Um, you want it to be a conversation and something you want to share and, and be proud of. Um, and that's how we see, that's how I envision Dormar being a part of this massive shift is, is creating head to toe wardrobes, not just one-off pieces. Yeah. Well, as that definition definition of luxury is changing, um, do you say we are, you know, selling this, this, and this brand? Do you do you define what what you're selling in terms of a price point or in terms of a label? Um, I mean, I think like we always obviously brands are important, right? People like love to get Christian Louboutin at a good price or Chanel or whatever it, whatever it is. Um, but I think the beauty in the muse closet is you're discovering brands and people that you never did before. Um, and I think the treasure hunt is what's so exciting about a consignment model or a resale model. We like to use the word archival um, because we think there's something a little bit more um, special and treasure trophy about that word. And I think as we get into these brand partnerships, right, like these these items that they've kept in their vaults um, for a while now are sold through Dormar because we give it that narrative. It's not just, you know, thrown on a mannequin and kind of put into like, you know, 10,000 arrivals that are posted a day or whatever. Like we're really giving it kind of that 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 room to shine, which it did when it walked the runway, right? Like we're just kind of the second life runway, if you if you will. Um, I obviously think price, you know, drives the resale consumer for sure. But I think what's really interesting about, you know, our clients, and this is a bit of a qualitative stat here, but we've had many clients say, you know, they've never shopped secondhand until they've shopped with Dormar. And so I don't think we're I'm not just targeting the person who already loves thrifting. I'm targeting the person that maybe thinks resale is a bit, quote unquote, icky um, because they don't know where it's from. They don't trust it. Is it real? Whatever. I want to target that customer. I think whether you're a luxury consumer or a resale consumer, um, you can appreciate the story behind the items and it's unique and different. And so we want to bring that to the forefront. And so I think 
really when we look at who we're competing against or who what customers we're competing for, it's that luxury consumer. It really is. Um, and and I don't think you need to break it up between resale or not. I think um, you know that's that's who we want to go for. Yes, I love that you mentioned icky. I'm seeing ick factor all over TikTok these days. What gave you the ick? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yes. So funny. TikTok. We're not on TikTok yet. <laughs> oh my God. Is a lot of your um, focus on in Instagram in terms of marketing? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, TikTok is so interesting. I th- I'm personally addicted, which is a whole nother story. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think, you know, one of the things that we always are talking about with at Dormar is, you know, how do we keep, and I think luxury as a whole is, is trying to understand this, you know, how do you stay relatable um, to this, you know, new millennial Gen Z consumer while also, you know, remaining in that luxury thread. And I think that's such a tough balance. And um, every brand's trying to understand what that looks like. I think our main drivers are our um, are Instagram, um, you know, we love Pinterest. We were a super image-driven brand. Um, and and we love we love videos as well. We do a lot of interviews with muses, a lot of behind the scenes. We call it behind the door. Um, door Amar. We love puns. Our head of fashion, Brian, is like a genius with that. Um, but I think, you know, obviously social media is 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 how we started. Yeah, for sure. What what trends are you seeing? Whether it's in terms of your shopper, you're seeing a, a younger shopper base than expected. Maybe they're gravitating toward a certain item right now. Yeah. What's happening? Yeah. I mean, I think our core audience is definitely that like 25 to 34 range, like that, that true millennial client. I, I think you have to remember that while the prices are good, it's still luxury, right? Like not every 18 year old can, can go and buy a Chanel bag, but our, you know, our second most engaged uh, audience is that Gen Z audience. And that's something that we really want to um, obviously understand more and, 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 and capture more. And I think what I love about them is there's, and you know, we've got a ton of Gen Z, um, you know, assistants and interns. And I'm always like, guys, give me the, give me the deets on these people. Um, cause I'm, I'm in my thirties. So I'm an old millennial now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> um, but really it's obviously, it's all about that style, right? Like they want to know the person behind it. Like what makes them, what, like, how do they put the closet together? What makes them cool? Like, why, why do they hate this trend versus that trend? Like they want the person behind it and like what they stand for. And obviously there's a lot of synergy with that and, um, and Dormar. I think the consumer behavior that is most exciting for us. And again, this is like when you position the muse as not just an influencer, but as a retailer, as a brand, is we'll launch these muses. Maybe they're like a smaller muse with like not a ton of followers. So to our audience, to a lot of our audience, that muse is maybe new. They become like obsessed with them as a brand. And so when they do subsequent drops, we have this like ginormous email list of women who like were interested in her closet or bought from her closet or DM'd us about like, I searched her Instagram. Do you think she'll ever sell this Brock collection dress? Like we literally had that happen recently. And we texted the muse, Lauren, and I'm like, hey, do you think you want to give this up? We have a client interested in that. (laughs) Um, And so these muses become like a brand. Like you think about like, you know, a sneaker drop and everyone's like, when's the next sneaker drop? Like that's really how our customers now shop the site, which I think is is such a fascinating way to think about it. And it really is that that style first. I think our customer, like when you strip it down a little bit more, like they love the fashion pieces. Like I tell our muses when they are curating their closet with us, like, you know, their face is on this, like give them maybe the rag and bone jeans somewhere else. Like give us your polka dot Carolina Herrera tool dress. Like our customer wants that fashion piece. So when they wear it, it's like, oh my gosh, where did you get that? And it's a whole storytelling narrative. It's like, oh, I got it from Dora Mar and this muse wore it at New York Fashion Week. And then she talked about how she like wore it in the winter in front of the festival and she had no tights and Wes Gordon commented. And it's just, you know, it's this whole history in a garment. Um, and that's, that's, you know, that's our client. They want the exciting thing. 
Hallelujah for yes. fashion with a capital F. <laughs> fashion like, with yes. a capital F is Dora Mar. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love this. Well, I was reading another publication referred to um, what you do as social luxury, selling yes. like a social luxury platform. It's interesting to me. Like, do you foresee as the platforms get more savvy and there are these influencers who that that's their go to that they'll be selling more of their own stuff? Like we hear that brands, you need an outside partner to be able to make a go of resale in any way. I mean, are you just like, part of the push to social commerce, I guess? Um, or how would you see how your interplay into the, the the rise of social commerce? Yeah. I mean, I think that's right. That's right where we play, right? It's like, I think as we look at how we want to scale uh, scale the business, I think obviously consignment is a, always a huge part of it. And that's how we, we start with our muses and understand, you know, what brands, what categories, what clients do well with them, and then really kind of pivot into the brand, uh, the brand play. But I think the brand play is so exciting. I think these brands want to get involved in resale and they want to get involved in the circular economy, but a lot of them are hesitant. Um, you know, I think we saw traditional luxury retail obviously is is completely um, changing its ways, right? Department stores have closed. There's the wholesale conundrum, as I call it, with overproduction and discounting and and brands are really struggling with like how they fit into these kind of new forms of, of retail. Um, and I think these muse closets just give them a place that, again, doesn't dilute their story, um, doesn't dilute the price to like, you know, the, the nth degree of where they're like, oh my gosh, are we at the same price as, you know, TJ Maxx or something like that? Um, no <laughs> offense, TJ Maxx, we love them too. Um, but for a luxury brand, right? Like when you lose that clout in the industry and in the market, it's really hard to get it back, right? Like you you don't want to dilute that brand. And so um, the Muses Closet gives them that strategic and highly, highly personalized audience. And I think that's something that we want, you know, always already dig into, right? When we're seeing, you know, you know, what emails are coming into what closet pages, who's converting where, where are the abandoned carts, um, and being able to automate that personalization. Like, you know, Jill, if you're on the site and you love my closet, we're going we're gonna to serve you like the other closets that like you would love that maybe you didn't know about that have your size, your style, your price point, what have you. So we really, really want to lean into that. And, you know, that's both through Muses consigning from their closet and also, you know, having these brands kind of join join as well and sprinkle their merchandise through the Muses closets. Oh, tell me about the importance of that, that personalization to be able to show me more closets that I'm going to like. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think that was one of the, you know, even when we started um, you know, two years ago or whatever, we really just wanted to start that data collection, right? Like, where is Jill going in her journey on Dora Mar? Like, what is she looking at? What closet pages is she eyeing? What reminders is she setting to see um, what closets are launching when? Um, and so as we grow and as we scale, like, you know, enabling more of that automation through tech is going to be something uh, super crucial to to Dora Mar, I think, both from the Muses standpoint to, like, have more ownership of their closet and also from the brand standpoint, right? Like, presenting these data points to brands on um, what's working through various influencer closets and various audiences is pretty, pretty important information to have that we're gathering. Um, so we want to be able to scale that out, automate that. Um, and I think, you know, once you get to, we had like a 400% increase on, in Muses year over year in terms of who joined the platform. And it's only going to get bigger from here. Um, so we want to make sure that those Muse closets are getting in front of the right audiences that are going to buy into them um, and continue to kind of uh, expand upon on that personalization model. 
Yes. Oh, well, you mentioned reminders and I'm like, wow, your your model definitely makes for a lot of kind of moments. Like, yes, it's um, moments. <laughs> are you like, are you using that drop function on Instagram? Do you make a big splash with an email campaign every time there's a new closet? Like what happens when a new closet drops? Oh my goodness. Yes. We have like an amazing creative team here. Um, and that really, really like that hype and that urgency is so important, right? And it, it really is because it's, you know, a lot of times it's only one piece, right? Like sometimes when we work with brands, there's depth behind it. But a lot of times there's not. And the consignment piece is definitely right. It's gone. It's gone. Um, so yes, we always, you know, we always kind of like to tease out a big drop that we're doing, whether it be through Instagram and email campaigns. I think um, something that we also do when it's like a Muse relaunch, it's like, like I said, we kind of have that that database of clients who are already interested in that in that uh, specific Muse's closet. So we'll kind of give them like a 24-hour first look. Um, and that's something that we're kind of building upon. I think that's, you know, was a big thing at Moda with you know, top clients and how do you really kind of um, hook them and get them excited um, and, and make them, you know, it's a loyalty play as well, right? Like if you're at Dormar shopping these same closets, like you should get first dibs on on what's coming next, really. Um, and so those are all things that we, that we really, we do, you know, creative, the creative content is super important to that, like allure of the Muse story and being able to share it in a way that's relevant to them and to the Dormar platform. We'll be right back after this quick break with your focus so so heavily on content and the story like is it important to um really own take take those pieces into your ownership and photograph them and maybe photograph them use and do everything your way um what can you what do you have to control where is there i guess leeway as yeah. you see it yeah so um we do take items in house so it's not a peer to peer platform i think that's important to recognize. Um, obviously, a lot of these muses are luxury consumers in themselves. So it's a lot of work because we do it every day to photograph and, and catalog and that sort of thing. So we do, you know, act as a service to the muses to do kind of th- that part. Um, on the content play, you know, what's fabulous about the muses is they've worn these clothes before. So we'll say, you know, send us all those those pictures of you in the clothes and we'll, we'll populate it to the closet page or you can use it to promote your closet, that sort of thing. And um, we do love, you know, we're in New York. We've got a lot of New York muses. We do love a great photo shoot moment. Um, we do love, you know, great interviews, great content like that. But we also, you know, utilize the Muses UGC. They're content creators. They're in control. And so um, we really kind of stress uh, those moments as well. We have a really great Muse coming up who's famous from like her really funny reels. And she made like a total Dora Mar reel. And we're super excited for her to... Uh, to launch that. And so, you know, we love them to take it into their own hands because their audience already loves their brand. Like, I don't need to control that. Um, so that's, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a mix, really. Yes. Is authentication ensure, um, a big deal in terms of, yeah, finding the right authenticators, ensuring everything's authentic? I, I would think that's a huge investment um, for you. Yeah. So we do have an authenticator um, on the team here. And obviously, that's one of the reasons we also do take it in-house is for that authentication. I think something that is, you know, where Dormar wins a lot is obviously these muses have their faces on the product. So we aren't a place where there's like fakes trafficked through here because there is no, um, you're not anonymous on Dormar, right? Like we will find you. (laughs) Oh, Um, true, true. (laughs) Yeah. So that's one of those things too where, um, you know, we have kind of two sets of validations, right? It's like the muses faces on it, like they're giving it their stamp of approval and validity. And then also like our team is authenticating it here. Um, look, fakes can be so good. Sometimes people don't know. Maybe they got a second hand or gifted, whatever. Um, that obvi- It's obviously a huge issue. And I, but I think, you know, when going back to concepting Dormar, that trust, that trust aspect, like how are we going to provide more trust? And it's like validating this muse and they're validating us. So there's like a double way here. 
um, authenticity. But like we always will take items in house when it comes to secondhand because it's just like some things are just too sophisticated. Um, but I think, you know, this is a buzzword, but really looking at the power of what blockchain can be a, a bit, because I think we do have that idea of provenance behind us. And obviously that's a network effect and that's kind of a long, longer term thing. But I think there's a lot of um, places that it's relevant to Dormar and we're always kind of looking out for, you know, what technologies are on the rise to kind of help solve this authenticity issue within the resale market because resales, it's not going away. <laughs> Yeah, man, you are on it. I had blockchain as my next question. You, <gasps> oh my yes. God, Joe, we're on the same wavelength here. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, tell me about your team. You, there's an authenticator. Who, who else is in the house? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think um, we have like an amazing team. And I think like one of the biggest lessons I've learned as starting a startup and, and kind of bootstrapping a lot of it is um, you, the startup team is unlike anyone you will work with, right? It is like blood, sweat, and tears, and it's very gritty, and it's literally not glamorous, even when you're dealing with glamorous clothes. Um, but Luigi, who I'd mentioned, uh, him and I were at Moda together, and he's our strategy and growth lead. Um, he also has has a background at ClassPass and Vroom, so he's a, he's like a major startup guy. Um, and I think without him, I probably would have quit this business in spring 2020 when we were like such babies, and I was like, this isn't even worth it anymore. <laughs> and he was like, he was like, no, there's something really here, Lauren, and and. Um, so he's like an integral part to what we do. Um, Brian, our head of fashion, has over 20 years of experience in luxury fashion at Herrera and Yves Saint Laurent and every which way. And he's just like this zeitgeist of fashion history. And he's he's kind of the heart and soul of of Dormar. And he really spearheads all these muse and brand partnerships. And then um, Ingar, creative director, has really brought the, the image of Dormar to the forefront. And I think when you're dealing with luxury consumers and dealing with luxury muses, that brand is so important. And she's really taken a hold of like what it means to be part of Dormar, whether you're a consumer or a muse or, you know, a lot of times both. Um, and so, you know, and, and obviously we've got a team behind, you know, all three of those, those leads really spearheading, um, what it looks like and, and obviously tons of advisors and help and networks. I mean, I think the most important thing is surround yourself with smarter people than you, because that's what it takes to build a startup. <laughs> right on. What's, what's been your approach? You, you mentioned, um, bootstrapped, mm -hmm. um, from the get out of the gate, um, fundraising. Is that in the cards? Is that coming? <laughs> Have you done a little bit here and there? We've done a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think um, fundraising is, is an interesting topic. You cannot ignore that to build a business, you need capital. And and Doramar in particular, because, it, you know, we are really, it, like, supply is so important, right? You've got to have the right supply on board to get the demand. It's a marketplace. Um, and so there is, like, some investment up front. Even though we're not buying the inventory, it's having the space to store it and catalog it. And the whole operational process is something to really consider. Um, so we did do our first round in uh, spring of 2021. Um, and we're actually in our in our um, second round of fundraising now. I think, you know, I'd be remiss to say that it's all um, daisies and roses. I think we all know the stats of what it means to be a woman and a woman of color founder. I'm a black biracial woman. And I think there's not a lot of us, um, you know, building venture backed companies or, um, you know, going out on that fundraise trail. And, um, you know, while the no's are tough and, you know, there's been situations that you're just kind of like, all right, I, <laughs> let's move it on from that. I think what we found to be the silver lining is that the people and the advisors that really believe in you, believe in you times 1000, um, you know, how we've kind of fundraised thus far is really strategic investors within the space. Um, and I'd be, you know, the muses have also invested. And I think that's a huge, huge call out to the business we're building. Like they really do see this um, just like we do as a next generation of luxury e-commerce and, and, and we're the ones that are going to do it. Um, and so that's really how we've kind of fundraised, um, and I think we'll continue to do that. And, um, you know, I think it's obviously a learning curve for me as well, but I think it's, 
it's what it takes to build a startup. And I think the metrics and the business really speak for itself. So uh, we're just going to keep on building. Yes. Are they all looking for growth numbers to date and, and what's happening there? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm very proud to say that year over year we grow 570%. And that's a huge, oh huge figure, right? Yeah. Um, a huge figure. And then, I, like I said, the, you know, the Muse volume grew four, 400%. And we just scaled really quickly in 2021. I think, you know, 2020, it was Brian, Inga, Luigi, and I trying to figure out, all right, how do we get this Muse concept off the ground? Um, and it really found its footing. And in 2021, we really blew it out. And I think those brand launches towards the end of the year were a crucial part of really establishing, all right, this is a new way of retail. It's these, it's through these influencer Muse closets. Um, and so 2022 is really about, you know, scaling up that volume of Muses and brands um, and really honing in on automation and personalization. Oh, great. That was going to be when you get this round of funding. That, that's where you're dedicating. <laughs> your, that's I'm, where like, you're... I'm like a future crystal ball reader here. <laughs> well, 2020, you're getting that funding. You are investing accordingly. Yeah. yeah <laughs> that sounds <it's>... good. <laughs> Tell me about Fashion Week. You've got a campaign happening and it's beauty related. Beauty is happening. What's oh, my goodness. On? Okay. So yeah, I mean, and that's something to mention as well with the growth. And, and as we go into 2022 is you know, we started with luxury fashion because that's what what I know the best. But really, these muse closets just are luxury in general, right? Like we launched into um, home earlier uh, this this quarter. Where are we? We're in February. Um, in January, called Doma Dwell uh, with a platform called Freddie. So Freddie is an offshoot of Schumacher, which is obviously a big home company. Um, Edward, one of our muses, he was previously at Vogue, um, is a consultant there. So we're kind of taking some of their interior decorators um, and having them be muses and sell both their closet and home items. And then we launched into beauty as well. Um, one of our, you know, biggest supporters and, and advisors, Marie-Laure Fournier, is a very, very big figure in, in beauty and fashion and lifestyle. Um, and she hooked us up with some amazing brands. Payo is like a hundred-year-old um, French beauty brand, first woman-founded French beauty brand. Um, and that's, you know, that's a story in and of itself. And so um, over the next week, as we lead up to Fashion Week, some of our muses will be doing a campaign called our, your face for fashion week. Obviously, like everyone's face kind of like drops in fashion week because you're like eating, drinking, talking, and seeing shows. Um, so I think it just, you know, beauty, home, what, you know, other categories really just play into like what a luxury lifestyle is. And, um, you know, the muses act as that on so many different fronts. So we're excited to explore those new categories. Um, we'll be doing a, you know, a, a small pop-up shop at Dumbo House on Friday to kick off fashion week with Charlize, one of our muses. And, um, you know, that's something that's really exciting. We haven't really delved into that physical touch point. And that's something in 2022, you know, knock on wood, we can continue to do that if COVID, you know, <laughs> uh, stays stays away for long enough. Um, I think our customers love meeting us. They love meeting the muses. They love touching the product. So that's something that's really important as well. Um, so a lot, there's a lot happening. <laughs> there really is. You've got yeah. a full plate. Are you focused on the local market, the U.S. or um, international, uh, I guess, aspirations? Is that happening? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously we're, we're based in New York, so we're really focused mainly domestically. Um, we do and are starting to have some kind of international based muses. We had a few muses last year. We're launching a, um, a, a brand based in Milan in March. Um, so, you know, all those kind of international workings are happening. And I think what's great about that is obviously muses have international, like international reach, right? It doesn't matter if you're based in Milan, you can still have a ton of U.S. followers or what have you, but it's a great, it's a great way for us to start testing out these markets, right? Like, What's working? How are they performing? Um, what are they buying into? What are they reacting to? And so we're kind of dipping our toes uh, through that way. And then, you know, based off of that, as we kind of move into 2023, 2024, kind of um, invest more heavily and, and breaking into kind of more international markets, but definitely focused on the U.S. for now. But we do ship worldwide. So if you're listening and you see something you like, 
we do ship to you. <laughs> Good to know. Gosh, has that been, I guess, what, what, what's been your biggest challenge recently in the last couple of months? Is it, has it all been about shipping and getting things to people in a timely manner? What, what else is weighing on your mind? Oh, goodness. I mean, I think as a startup founder, it probably changes every every day. I think, um, you know, I really, I think that the brand has, you know, Dormar has so much momentum right now. And I think we just want to be able to capitalize on on all of that and make sure that, you know, we're able to launch these muses in a way that's true to who they are, get it to the customer, provide them with the right muses and really kind of, um, I guess I like keep up with demand, if you will. I think that's, that's, that's what always kind of races through my mind. Like, where are we going next? Where are we going next to meet our customer where we're at? Like, I am not a tech startup founder. I'm a fashion girl that had had a great idea to launch a startup. And so the customer is always at the forefront, customer being muse and, you know, in demand consumer um, is always at the forefront of like who we want to serve. And that changes so quickly. Um, and we want to make sure that we're, we're, we're there for them at, at every touch of the way. Yes. Is it about getting that loyal customer? So you're not, I guess, competing on uh, Google search and that investment there. I mean, wh- where, I guess, wh- what's key to, to doing this in a smart way? Yeah. I mean, I think like, you know, you've seen so many, you know, buzzy brands, like just break their backs and spending on, you know, social media marketing, right? Like that was like the the way to get customers. And I think, you know, Luigi on my team being like a true marketer at heart, um, him and I spent a lot of time understanding, okay, if this brand is going to be successful, like we need that organic momentum, like the muses and their closet and the customers engaging with those closets need to provide that flywheel um, or else it's not going to work. So we really started like not spending, you know, much on, on digital marketing. We've layered that on as we grow and scale. It's obviously something that, that has to be done, but it's always catapulting off of the muse's own momentum. So if it's Rodarte Charlize, like we're going to talk about that. If it's Markarian and CC Barfield, we're going to talk about that. And I think my favorite is when you've got, you know, a muse saying they're selling their closet on Doramar, someone buys it, posts it and says like, this is from Doramar from Lauren Levison's closet. And then Lauren Levison like reposts who's been buying from her closet. Like it is this total flywheel of community and connectivity. And I think that's what's so exciting about Doramar. Like there is no luxury space that has this type of community. Um, and so that's where we wanted to nail it. And again, we're obviously going to spend on marketing. <laughs> I think that's, yeah. you can, I think anyone that says like, oh, we're always organic forever is, is kind of kidding themselves. Um, but that organic virality at the foundation of who we are is what had to be nailed to prove the concept essentially. And now it's about la- layering and scaling that up. Yes. Are you at the office? Is it an office setting? Are people working from home? What's going on in terms of company culture and and keeping that (laughs) happy and healthy? (laughs) Well, we are Brooklyn-based. Shout out to Brooklyn. We love being out here. Um, So we do have a studio um, warehouse office space in in Brooklyn. So um, I think because we're dealing with physical merchandise, um, you know, half of us do have to be be in here, obviously, to touch and, and catalog and authenticate and photograph the merchandise. Um, and then, you know, the design team and such can be more remote. Um, but, you know, we're a small, mean and lean team. And I think, you know, like everyone in New York, COVID hit us hard in December again. And um, we had to make changes, but it's about being nimble and agile. And, um, you know, we make it work. Like, I think one of the things is you never forget, you never forget where you came from. And I'm packing boxes with the rest of the team as we like, we're trying to get the Christmas orders out and people were sick or whatever. It's just about all hands on deck always. And I think that's something very important to remember as a, as a small startup, like you've got to keep it hustling and you got to keep the business moving. So true. Last question. You mentioned the LSD. Who or who would be your ultimate muse? <laughs> who oh, would you die to get? My God. Okay. Well, LSD for sure. We're going to put that out there. 
Um, I, I'm a big fan of Tracy Ellis Ross. I think she just has ah, the best, yes. best style. She's got the greatest, like, styling and stories, and she would be major. Um, and who else? I mean, I'm going to throw Gwyneth Paltrow in there, too. And, like, if we can get Goop on brand, too, that would, I mean, on board, that would be amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. These are great this, picks. Consider this a PSA. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to happen. We're going to play this over and over. You called it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh exactly. God. Well, this was amazing, Lauren. Thank you for being here. It was great chatting. Thank you, Chell. Thank you so much. It was great chatting. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. If you liked this episode, be sure to share it with someone else you think would. Thanks for listening to the Glossy Podcast.